This is One Ogden. I'm John Miles. Angel Castillo is running for Ogden City Mayor. She first ran for the position in 2019 and achieved impressive results as a first-time candidate against an incumbent mayor. Now she's at it again, but this time she's got to get through a crowded primary race. What do you do in your career? I'm a marketing consultant. Pretty much people call me whenever their sales are flat or they have a product that they want to launch. Um, my most recent clients are a law firm and an aerospace company. You ran for mayor last cycle. Was that the first time you've ever run for anything? Oh yeah, I had never run for office before and I technically had no real intention to run. I was gonna support another candidate and they ended up not running and after I'd done all that research, I, I just couldn't walk away knowing what I knew. What was it back then that really got you into it? Like what were the, the issues that made you decide to run? Housing, transparency, it's, it's no great secret. I was not born and raised here, I chose to be here. And choosing to be here, I wanted to make sure that what I'd seen happen in other cities doesn't happen in Ogden. Mm -hmm. There are things that we can do that will make it easier for people to be able to save to buy homes, because that's really and truly what it's all about, is home ownership. I want to make sure that we create pathways to home ownership, and I have several programs that while one of them won't solve it, the, the combination of all of them will bring relief to people and get folks into homes. Is that, I mean, do you have pretty similar motivations this time? Is it, you know, continuing the fight or has it changed a little bit? Everything is still broken. <laughs> All the reasons I ran before are the reasons that I'm running now. The transparency and lack thereof is egregious. I don't know if you noticed on my social media last night, I posted about 550 24th Street, which was a property that a developer was willing to pay $1.9 million for, and the city gave it to another developer. Without a proper RFQ, there were only two people that applied, and one of the developers found out about it by accident. And... Not only did the city give the property, but they also decided that they were going to pay $800,000 to build the road. There was a de The developer that didn't get the project is award-winning, has dealt with brown sites, has worked with cities and municipalities before, and has over 20 years of experience, won awards. And we could have done so much more with $1.9 million. And so let me back up just a little bit. RFQ, I know RFP, Request for Proposal. What's RFQ? RFQ is Request for Qualifications. And normally the way the procedure works and the way the state does it is we want people to come in and, and bid on something. So we want, first want to make sure we start with people that are qualified. So you submit your qualifications. It's not a proposal. It is answering all of the questions, who you are what your experience is, what type of project you might want to do. And then generally what happens is at least three people are selected and then you move to RFP, which is request for proposal. And that's everybody bring your A game. Like if you're buying a house, best and final offer, everything on the table. We didn't even go to an RFP process. It was a developer, two developers, one RFQ, and the city chose the developer that wasn't going to pay for the property. And can you just kind of walk me through, like, who makes decisions like that within the city? Like, where is it decided 
how long the RFQ is going to be out there and, and that kind of stuff? Um, everything with regards to the property the city owns or has purchased and is going to sell or partner with runs through the Department of Economic Development. You know, there was an article about this in the Standard mm. maybe two weeks ago mm-hmm. where they were talking mm-hmm. about the area and mm-hmm. this idea to give it away. And it's I heard, crazy, isn't it? <laughs> it's so crazy. <laughs> and when I read it, like, <laughs> everybody I know who's read it is just like, what in the hell is this? Yeah, it's um, nuts. But so I, from what I understand, it caused some concern among the city council and mm-hmm. they sort of got together and talked about it. Mm-hmm. And then I don't know what happened between the city council is concerned and two weeks later, the city mm-hmm. council is voting to approve it from what mm-hmm. I understand is what happened well, last night. Right? For clarity, three members voted no, but the long and the short of it is that if, if the city council passes it, regardless of what the vote is, the city council passes it. There were a bunch of secret meetings. Mm -hmm. literally closed session meetings that the public has absolutely no knowledge of, may not attend. I think there were three of them. Mm -hmm. And um, they had information from a well-respected industry professional who is a professional witness uh, for legal cases in property value um, appraisals, Mm -hmm. as well as real estate. And uh, that individual broke it down of like, what was missed, why this property is so undervalued for what they thought it was, and that there needed to be a lot more questions asked. And none of those questions were asked in a public forum. They were all asked in closed sessions. Well, yeah, I'm uh, I'm just remembering, and I don't know if you're familiar with this. Somebody was telling me, I think it was this property, was valued at like, 180,000 for a few years mm-hmm. and then it switched hands and suddenly jumped mm-hmm. up to like a million mm-hmm. is that is that this property? Um no that's actually a different property. Oh, a different <laughs> However, the the big problem with uh 550 24th Street is they they didn't get it appraised. They took what is a county assessor average where they just take a big swath of land and go, that's eh, about right. You know, and, and it's just a rough valuation. It's not the true valuation. Mm. And we should not be playing developer with the taxpayer's money when people are willing to pay. So who did it get awarded to? Henry Walker Homes, which is a subsidiary of Jay Fisher. Jay Fisher, Wonderblock, the Rite Aid or the Capitol Square project and Union Station. And now this one. But in Four those cases, properties to the same company and their subsidiaries with no RFP public process, individually selected. And I mean, I know people were already concerned about their involvement, how, how we mm-hmm. were using them for all of these major projects. Mm-hmm. But this thing is unique in that we're now just giving them stuff, right? You know, it's not that unique. Mm. And in the aspect that the city does this on a regular basis, well, not the city, the RDA, and they did exactly the same thing with the Wonder Block. It's just that the Wonder Block project is so big and so complex, it's it's hard to message on a project that has so many moving pieces. They did exactly the same thing. Mm. As of last night, is it a done deal then? It's like, a done we're, deal. We're, we're it, it's It's over. We just gave away the possibility of a developer paying us $1.9 million and paid them an additional 800000 with not a proper RFQ, RFP process. And so the rationale behind that would have to be that nobody else is going to be willing to invest in this land unless we give them all of this. Is that... That's the problem. Uh, the charter of the RDA was written over 20 years ago, 
and 20 years ago, Ogden was a very different place, right? There, there, I 100% know that there were certain places in Ogden that you did have to incentivize developers to build there. It happens all across the nation. It's called the blighted area. Mm-hmm. And in a blighted area, the economic development director may go, that's the developer, and, the, and, and sole source it particularly because nobody else is going to do it and we're going to give all of these incentives because we need to make that happen. I totally understand that. But that is not who we are anymore, and yet that is still how we are operating because our charter says so. Uh, Brandon Cooper, the director of economic development, on a regular basis responds, it's not illegal. And my response to that is, sure, it's not illegal, but that doesn't mean that it's not unethical. It doesn't mean that it's not righteous. It doesn't mean that it's not fair for taxpayers. Well, yeah, I... I'm watching your head explode. Yeah, I I take people down this rabbit hole frequently, and it usually takes about an hour and a half, and they're like, what? How is that not illegal? And I'm like, because nobody has changed the charter for who we were versus who we are now. And we are awesome. Ogden is amazing. People want to live here. People want to work here. People want to develop here. We literally have had a case example that we didn't have to give it away, someone was willing to pay $1.9 million for it. Yeah, I was... Um, I really I, wish I had a camera <laughs> for, for the expression on your face. Just, and just, it's really been... <laughs> so, like, two weeks ago, I think, was the Make Ogden thing, Union uh-huh, Station. I saw uh-huh, you were down there. Uh-huh. Teresa Holmes was sitting behind me. <laughs> I love Teresa. If you don't know Teresa, Teresa is maybe... 80 pounds. She's this tiny, tiny woman who is a senior and is just big and bold and unfettered, just yeah. like Ogden, untamed. That's right. And when it comes to Union <laughs> Station especially, she's just like, oh, yeah, we well, are going to fight. She, hundreds of thousands of hours. She's been a volunteer for Union Station for decades. Yeah. And so she loves Union Station and will do anything to protect it. Yeah, but she's sitting behind me. Every time Brandon Cooper says something, she's just like, oh, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I want to be clear, and I want to make a, a statement. I am not anti-development. I am not anti-developers. I believe developers play a great, great role in our ecosystem of bringing Ogden to where it needs to be. I have a problem with the deals. We don't need to be using taxpayers' dollars to play developer we a government should not be competing with private business full stop well and i think you're exactly right that we did used to have to but like Mm -hmm. people whoever gets to do those things downtown Mm -hmm. is going to be lucky like that is a Mm -hmm. guaranteed that's right profit the power to change a lot of this really lies in the mayor's office then is that right that is correct but there has to be this fine line you've got to walk there as far as we're going to change this stuff versus Mm -hmm. we can't completely derail Or do you think that that some of this stuff we just need to stop in its tracks right away? To use somebody else's words, we we have to stop the steal. Because I literally believe that this is stealing from Ogden taxpayers, even though it's land. And I have a problem with the decision that the leadership within the administration is making. And it needs to stop. I, it, we cannot continue to give away city property. That that 1.9 million. I keep coming back to this 1.9 million because it's the most easy, tangible number. 
and your head's going to explode even more when I tell you it's hundreds of millions of dollars that Jay Fisher is getting with regards to property and support. But that $1.9 million would have bought us that Ogden school district surplus space that we wanted for parks or organized play space. We have um, nonprofits in the community that would do well with $10,000. And uh, 1.9 million is, I think it's like 160 $10,000 grants. Stop and think about what you could do to grow local small businesses with a $10,000 grant. And there's data that shows that, well, everybody wants to like, oh, we want to bring in a big company with lots of jobs. Big companies shed jobs after two years. Real growth is from the bottom up, middle out, and that is small businesses that are already invested here you get more jobs and you put more money into the economy when you invest in small local businesses. And that is one of my platforms is access to capital for small businesses. Mm. And so let's talk about um, before we were just giving them money, um, all of the projects that we are engaged with Jay Fisher in, mm -hmm. those are all financed through TIFF, right? Most of them Most. are financed through TIFF. And, and again, for clarity... I'm not dissing Jay Fisher as a developer because they have done fine projects in other states without any supplement. The Boise project that they did, which, well, is not similar. It's, it's not exactly the Wonder Block, but it's similar. It's just not in one place. It's a bunch of different pieces of the idea spread around. Mm -hmm. They brought uh, attainable housing, they didn't ask for any money from the city. They got no tiff from the city, and yet they can build. We are making bad deals. That's it. The, the concepts, not so bad. The Make Ogden plan, the Make Ogden plan is great. It really is solid. It follows uh, incremental development, which is a strongtowns.org tenant. And if you're into that, it's a planner, city planners nationwide that are all data geeking together of how, how to build quickly without costing money and incrementally. And that's the thing is increment, TIF is supposed to be for infrastructure. TIF is supposed to be used for water, sewer, streets. Your project doesn't pencil, but you want this project. And so the city's like, you know what? We're gonna help you with some fees and we'll take care of that infrastructure with you. Here's some TIF. That's what it's supposed to be used for. It's not supposed to be a financing mechanism, which is exactly why Ogden City is called out in the state auditor's tax report for TIF, that we are not following best practices. TIF is tax increment finance. Correct. And there was an audit done by the state legislature mm -hmm. released September 2022. Correct. Correct. That was basically about the effectiveness of TIF in the state. They, they audited mm -hmm. the effectiveness. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so can you just talk to me about a little bit about what the findings were in that audit? There were 10 cities and we were listed as, I want to say it's two or three, in the top 10 offenders. <laughs> and we're not providing receipts. Um, and, and in my business, as a marketing consultant, when you take on a project, you have goals and metrics. And, and as you move through the project, you hit the milestones. And did you meet your goals? Did you not? And then you have to pivot. And, and make sure that you're getting where you need to go. And Ogden is not providing the how it impacted 
the economy by doing the actual economic impact reports, which is like, how many jobs did it bring? How did this affect the economy? And it's not doing the economic feasibility saying like if you or I went to get a loan or and wanted to start a business, I want to start a business. Okay, great. Where's your plan? Where's your pro forma? What show me everything that says I should loan you this money. That doesn't happen in the city. It's just like, yeah, we want to do that. Show me that it works on paper. And that's what the state is asking for. And they also want the cities to track developers. Are the de what are the developers' objectives? Were they met? How were they met? I mean, this is literally all about showing your receipts. And if you can't show the receipts, you shouldn't be doing it. You said that you're going to build this building and it is going to provide how many jobs? It is going to impact the economy by how much? This mm -hmm. building being there and these businesses generating taxes, how much did it inject into the economy? It is literally the receipts for you had an idea. That's great. Did you make it? Did it work? How did it work? What worked? I mean, it's just good business. Not everything succeeds and wildly. Sometimes things fail and sometimes things are just kind of in the middle. But that's where the growth is. How can we improve? There is always hidden capacity. You just have to look for it. And we are not being responsible. Car outside. I don't know if you can hear this. Like, mm. I'm like yeah. <laughs> yeah. They were just cheering you on. They were on. just like, go on. I was like, yeah, that's right. Um, literally, you want to know how well you're doing. You, you have to have goals, metrics, and milestones. That is just straight up business 101. Mm-hmm. The audit basically went as far as to say these are the things that w basically we need to write this into law that cities need to follow these things, right? That's coming down. It's the legislature is going to pass that. Right. They almost passed it this year. And if you follow uh, legislature, that's usually how it works. They go in, there's a little bit of jostling, there's some excuse me, there's some compromise, and then they bring it back. Nobody brings a bill without coming to get that bill passed. And this one is for the good of the state. This one is to make sure that the people who really and truly need that extra TIF financing, because they can't build this project because the water sewer power is just not gonna make the pro forma work for them, mm -hmm. that's how they get it across the line. And part of the challenge with the projects that the city is doing is that they are depending on the TIF to make the project work. It is supposed to be an incentive, not a financing mechanism. Mm. If your project doesn't pencil without the TIF, your project doesn't pencil. Yeah, and it also said something about, uh, you know there should be a ratio between city dollars to developer dollars. Oh, <laughs> don't even get me started. <laughs> well, I would like to get you started. <laughs> and so it said something like 20 to one was like the minimum, 40 mm -hmm. to one was sort of optimal. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, just let's break that down for somebody who hasn't read that report. Generally speaking, when you're going to be investing and doing what's called a public-private partnership as a municipality with a private business to make this great project that's going to help everybody, everybody wants that, right? Um, I myself am very risk-averse, and I think a city should be very risk-averse. You are stewards of people's tax dollars, and your main responsibility is public safety and infrastructure, and everything else is whipped cream and sprinkles and a cherry. So the bare minimum for, it's a little risky, but it probably could be worth it, is one city dollar 
20 developer dollars. It's not a, com a super comfortable place to be, but it probably will work. The super comfortable, yeah, let's do this, is one city dollar, 40 developer dollars. The way that the wonder block is structured, it is one city dollar, two developer dollars. Are you seeing that disparity? We are taking all of the risk, and if you've ever purchased uh, a home or a business, it's kind of like putting a lien on things that if this company goes bankrupt, the person in first position gets paid, then the person in second position gets paid, and then the person in third position gets paid. In varying structures throughout the entire Wonder Block product, the Ogden City is second and third position. Mm -hmm. We should be number one. Well, and didn't it also say that there were all these additional expenditures down the line that weren't necessarily accounted for in the original plan, mm -hmm. and that stuff tended to fall on... Oh, would you build a house with a contractor telling you, eh, give or take 75000 or 200000 <laughs> would you sign that contract? I wouldn't. Right. That's what the Wonder Block deal is. They give a range over millions of dollars of what something is going to cost. That is not the way that I do business, and I'm pretty sure it's not the way you do business either. Right. And so you provided this audit to the city, right? Uh-huh. Uh, did you get to talk to them about it at all? I have. And uh, they called Brandon up and asked him some questions. And he basically went, it's not the law. Mm. It's Because it's a, it's a recommendation. It yeah. will be the law next year. And again, why would you not want to do something that is best practices? Mm -hmm. it, regardless if it's law or not, if industry says this is kind of the way we do things and this is the responsible way to do things, you should, in my book. Um, I have noticed from you, I think you deserve a lot of credit in that you've really found a way to like really understand all of the intricacies of city government. Like you have something to say about everything you will read about it all you will give your input like you have put the work in for sure mm. and i wanted to ask if there was some kind of strategy to that or if it's just a matter of dedicating the time like there are a lot of people who want to get mm -hmm. more connected with their government and know mm -hmm. how to engage with it and know how to do things with their government mm -hmm. and and can you talk a little bit about how you sort of started figuring out how to do that Am I hearing, I just want to make sure I'm answering the question appropriately, researching things and showing up and being consistent. Is that the... Yeah, learning the machinations of government, learning yeah, where to put pressure. That's actually it? part of my process, um, and it's oddly enough part of one of my clients' process, is it's, it's an information dump. We not only read everything that's ever been written about that, but everything that adjacent so that you can get a 50,000 foot view of how it looks and reading is one of my superpowers <laughs> it's just something that that I've I've always been an avid reader and I can read very very quickly so that's what I do is when something comes up and I'm like well what is this and what are the parts involved in this this is literally what I do for a living go to a business that I know nothing about I don't know anything about aerospace before I got a client and so deep dive into everything defense and aerospace and how it ties into the market and where the revenue streams could potentially be trying to understand all of that. And that's what I've done with government. I've taken classes with the CDFA that regulates 
types of financing, specifically new market tax credits, which you want to talk about complex. New market tax credits are really, really, really complex. And, it, and it's quite an effort to understand them. But how can you possibly rally or advocate for something without understanding what you're asking for? That's what I've been doing is immersing myself in all of the things that I need to learn to truly understand the problem. There are things that I see that are broken and I have pathways and plans to fix the broken things. And I am continually there because I'm a taxpayer. It's this not on my watch thing. Until you understand how it all fits together, you're like, yeah, okay, I guess that's what it is. No, it's not. You know, we can do better and we should do better. We deserve better. How about Marshall White? I know that you were pretty involved in the fight for Marshall White. Do you feel like we are on the right track there? Did we finally get that right or? Nope. No? (laughs) Nope, not at all. The pool had been broken for two years in 2018 and I met with uh, Fern's Happy Hour, which is this adorable group of little old ladies that gets together for lunch once a week at the Marshall White Center and their big thing was, uh, and you know, spoiler alert for aging, uh, as you get older, you want to keep moving and you need water is helpful for people who are older with arthritis so that they get exercise because if you keep moving, you feel good. And they hadn't had a pool for two years. There was a catastrophic failure. Miss Betty had been leading the charge on making sure that that community was going to have a, a place to go. And so I, I, Miss Fern talked to me and I'm just like, okay, Miss Fern, I got you. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I took it on. I'm like, okay, well, why? Tell me why you can't fix this pool. Oh, it's going to cost $2 million to fix the pool. We don't have $2 million. And so the Marshall White was on the CIP and it was like, I don't know, like number 34 or 38. And I found a loophole that I could reorder the CIP. And so I did. (laughs) I made a, but no planning commissioner has ever made that motion. And until that gets changed, we'll ever do it again to reorder the CIP. And then I made the recommendation to set aside $3 million for the pool and to do a engineering study to see whether or not it could be built incrementally to expand the center, kind of like Catholic Community Services did. They never shut down. They just went from portion to portion and sort of added on and demoed simultaneously. And uh, there were about 85 people that showed up to the, the planning commission meeting. And I had talked to other planning commissioners ahead of time. I was like, look, I don't know if this is going to work, but this is what I'm going to do. Your vote is your vote, but I really think you should consider this. And one of the planning commissioners called the city attorney, and then the city attorney called me and said, you can't do that. And here's the superpower of reading. says right here, I can. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's really not your purview, but it says I can. Show me where it says I cannot. The attorney was like, no, you know, that's, you know, if it fits the plan, you have to be able to do it. And, and when you're a planning commissioner, they give you these big binders. I am not exaggerating like that. I still have them. Uh-huh. And I went through the code and I read the general plan and the general plan placed recreation as a key piece for that area. And so therefore I was able to go, says right here, it's not conducive to the general plan it goes against the tenants called out in the general plan so therefore blah 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 blah. I motion this three million dollars blah 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 and 
city council finally heard it. So, you know, all 80-some people went there and told their stories of how the Marshall White Center affected them and saved their lives and their kids' lives and all that kind of stuff. And they passed it, and then and now we're building. You know, and I got kicked off the planning commission because right. I opposed the administration. <laughs> like right after, right? Literally. Yeah, yeah. This actually, oddly enough, this just happened to Kevin Lindell. I don't know if you know Kevin Lindell. But I just saw that he got kicked off. Yeah, planning. Kevin, for those of you that don't know Kevin Lindell, Kevin Lindell is an amazing community member he's got two kids he's like mr outdoor sports he owns two businesses he is in the community volunteering kevin is a great guy he volunteered to put his time in on the diversity commission he there were some legislators that said some things and tried to pass some bills that were really not very diversity oriented and and othered some people and so he wrote an op-ed. He, I had two children, and this is not the chi- the world I want my children to live in. It was it was respectful. It was factual. Uh, it was just not what some people wanted to hear. And Kevin was not invited back, and that has never happened. And in my position, when they decided not to renew my term. When I joined the planning commission, there were three people that hadn't gone through the formal process of getting another term for years. There were two empty seats on the planning commission for years. Mm -hmm. And they didn't invite me back and then for good measure took two other people that agreed with me in a very vocal way. Right, right. So, And with Kevin, he was a fairly new member to the commission Mm -hmm. And he had just been elected vice chair or yeah. something, right? Kevin is a leader. Kevin is is articulate and kind. You know, he's the kind of guy that you can have a difficult discussion with and feel like it's not a war, right? Because mm-hmm. he's very respectful. I cannot believe the city would throw away an asset like Kevin Lindell. Well, and that's what struck me. There was just a clear trajectory mm-hmm. that just got stopped. And mm-hmm. very much the same thing that happened to you. Yeah, I, I, I don't think it's righteous. It's certainly not just. And I intend to make sure that any of the committees that are functioning when I am elected, we're going to change some things and we're going to make sure that those committees have teeth mm. and that their record, that they have to be depended on for those recommendations. And if there isn't a super majority to move something forward, it doesn't move forward until we figure out what needs to be adjusted. And that has to do with climate, mm. right? The sustainability commission that has to do with how are we being conservative with our water and our power and and all of that right Mm. those folks there are people that are professors at Weber State that are sustainability experts and Weber has a model that works and those people sit on the commission and they they don't get hurt right it's sort of a it's it's convenient lip service If someone loves Ogden enough to get on a committee or a commission, I value them. You need to listen to people that are putting in their time. They love Ogden. That's why they're doing it. They're not getting paid. People will tell you what they want. You just have to listen. Do you think it's too early to worry about Union Station? Do you think there's really much we can do now? Yes, you you should be worried about Union Station. Very, very worried. And yes, there are things that we can do. Right now, they're going through a process of community engagement. And if you can't see that at home, those are big air quotes. (laughs) (laughs) Because 
the city doesn't do very well at community engagement. Uh-huh. Um, Dr. Madsen at USU has contracted me to put together focus groups and survey groups for her research. And Dr. Madsen is, if you don't know who she is, she's amazing. Uh, she is the foremost expert in the United States on Utah women and disparities, economic oh. gap within disparities. And she has taken it on of, I'm going to do all the research. I'm going to do it in a scientific manner that is peer reviewed. And I'm going to show you, yeah, we have a problem. So remember metrics and milestones. Once you show someone the receipts, you can fix anything. If you know what it is that is broken and where it needs to be fixed. And so I've put together focus groups for her and run them. And being a marketing person, I know when I put people in a room, I know who they are. I know where they live. I know a ballpark of what they make. I know what's important to them. And and I make sure that it is a weighted representation of the data that you're trying to get, right? The city literally is like, well, we're going to post it online. A bunch of people are going to show up. They're going to sign in. And you're like, look at those people. And I'm like, how many many? How many males? How many females? What's the age range? Where do they live? Well, we got a zip code. No, 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 no. Census tract. Tell me that there is adequate community representation so that one portion of a population isn't making all the decisions for the entire population. Mm. And I keep coming back to it, you know, because I was raised by a single mom who worked two jobs without child support. The city has a tendency to hold information sessions and focus groups when people who have to work two jobs can't be there, right? I mean, if you're, you have to meet people where they are and you have to be really, really flexible and it's outside of business hours. I mean, the fact that you and I can sit here and have this interview, it's privilege because I own my own business. Mm -hmm. I can decide when I can see people and I can go to a doctor's appointment and it doesn't, ha- I don't have to worry about it. I'm not going to lose my job. If you work an hourly job, if you work at auto leave, yeah, good luck with that. You have to plan your time off. You got to take some vacation time or a sick day. You know, I want to make sure that when I'm elected, that people are actively engaged in the process and that we know who's showing up so that we can relentlessly pursue those populations that cannot show up to get their feedback. I love that point. There are certain parts of the budget that the public doesn't get to weigh on. Public safety, infrastructure, those things are an expense. They're always going to be an expense. And whatever we're spending, we can always try to figure out how to spend less. But that's not going to change much. Everything else is whipped cream, sprinkles, and a cherry. And what you do in a collaborative budget process is you remove public safety and you remove infrastructure and you go, okay, people, we have $20 million. And then you put them in a room and you put a bunch of big pieces of paper on the wall and you give everybody a limited amount of stickies and they literally show you where they want the money spent because it's their money. You shouldn't be making decisions without engaging the people that you're stewards of these tax dollars with. And then there'll be negotiation, right? You know, you'll see, actually, I've done this process. Uh, it's a work process that I've done for a lot of other stuff. You see people like negotiating with each other because they see that all of a sudden, oh, this has the preponderance, but this, this right here is really important. And so the people negotiate of like, well, can we have some of that over here? How about just a little bit of this? And, and then it becomes 
becomes this truly collaborative process. You shouldn't, you, you don't know what people want until you ask them, until you allow them to participate. And not everybody gets a pony, but if you can get 73% there of like what leadership's vision is versus what public's vision is, then you give that. 73% you go yes okay that's what we're going to do because then those folks that made that decision of this is where we want to go and 73% of us agree they now have agency because they were part of the process because they fought for it because they've thought out how it's going to affect them and what their lives are going to be like with or without it yeah that seems like a real consistent thing of yours is just Let's make sure that people are involved and that what they say actually has to be taken into account. Of course the marketing person says that. <laughs> I know. I mean, we, I, I, and I'll admit that, you know, we all bring our own lens of what we do and what our expertise is. And it almost always comes back to defaulting of looking at it through your eyes of what your lens is, which is why you would need to bring other people in because you don't know what you don't know. You really and truly don't. And if you don't involve other people, you're going to get the same thing over and over and over. And where's the growth in that? Yeah. Yeah. It's like feedback to you isn't just a, a thing you want to talk about, but a thing that actually has utility. <laughs> I know. Go figure. We, we should be concerned for Union Station and we do need to change the zoning that's on 25th Street so that we can preserve the integrity of those local businesses and let those local businesses decide how many of what type of business is going to be within this special zoning. You think we should create a special zoning area? You bet. Because do you want to go to 25th Street and do you want to see a Starbucks, a CVS? If we don't put some parameters on that, that is going to happen. Mm. You, you have to codify things if you want to protect them full on. And I believe that all of the merchants that are in 20, on the 25th Street area and you know around the corners should be part of a coalition that if you've been there and you've had a business for two years or more, you get a seat at the table and we can talk about all the different zonings. How many of what is allowable? Huh. What types of businesses? And well, Great Harvest Bread is a franchise. It's a fran it's a homegrown franchise. Yeah. Grounds for Coffee, homegrown franchise, yeah. right? So I'm okay with those. I just I don't want to lose our soul. Yeah. And and I think the only way to protect that is with zoning. Well, and the difference between that and like the 25th Street Alliance or mm -hmm. Downtown Alliance, you're talking including the residents, not making it dues-based. Oh, this is literally sitting on a board. It's not dues-based. It's like, it's a work group. People know exactly what they need. You just have to ask them. Mm. So another one of these committees with teeth, like you're talking about. Yeah, committees with teeth. That's what I want. That's, <laughs> yeah. a, that's a good tagline. Thanks, yeah, John. Committees with teeth. Hey, you came up with it. I like um, it. Okay, great. I think that's all I had. Thank hey. you. Yeah, I appreciate it. Hey, nothing to plug this week. Just wanted to say thank you. This has been growing faster than we had even hoped. We're having a great time and we're always looking for interesting guests and cool stories to tell. If you haven't followed us on Instagram or YouTube, head over there for videos of our guests and some other little things we've put together. And, you know, please follow us, subscribe, comment, share. Thank you again. <laughs>